Hi, this is Sophia and welcome back to The Muse. And I'm Annika and today we will be talking to film literature teacher Justin Brown about streaming services and the future of the movie industry. Stay tuned to find out more. I'd like to start with a quick debrief of the Oscars. So did you watch the Oscars? And if so, did you enjoy them? I did watch the Oscars. I watch the Oscars every year. I don't think I've missed an Oscars ceremony since maybe like 1989 or, or 1990. Um, and uh, sadly, I did not enjoy them this year. Um, I usually have a lot of complaints about the Oscars. Uh, a lot of the time I feel like I'm kind of hate watching the, <laughs> the Oscars, um, but I never miss it. Nonetheless, I, I always look forward to the experience. Um, I do think they matter. Um, uh, I, I don't think they matter as much as they used to. I feel like feature films, theatrical releases just aren't at the center of our culture as much as they were pre-streaming. Um, uh, so uh, um, I didn't think it was a great year for the films, and I, I think that's just a byproduct of the pandemic and the fact that so many studios held back their releases. Um, but I did think, I mean, I, I thought there was enough to, to put a, a decent enough field together. I think it just would have been a weak field no matter what. Um, but that wasn't really my issue with the show. Um, I just, I did not think that any of the changes that they made to the format of the show um, added anything to the proceedings. I felt like th they felt like changes for changes sake. Let's, this is an abnormal year. So let's just sort of um, throw out a, a lot of the Oscar show formula. And, you know, I think it's great to try new things. Um, the show definitely has needed a shakeup, but um, I think the biggest problem for me was just the lack of, visual stimulus in the show just not having clips of the movies to me felt like a major misstep um especially in a year where these movies were so little seen by the majority of the country i would have thought they would want to promote them uh more and and intrigue the audience more with the clips and you know because there were no montages or movie clips um there also just was very little humor in the show, no one really doing any jokes, which you know often is not necessarily the highlight of the show, but it does bring some levity. It just felt like it, just way too talky, um, just felt like it, it ended up meaning that people had to read a lot of copy about everything that wasn't particularly interesting. The, the, idea, the concept of having, um, the presenters share about you know the first job of some of the uh, the nominees on paper. I think that sounded like it could be interesting, but just the delivery of it, it just ended up feeling very kind of perfunctory. I just I found it a real chore to get through it, and in fact, um, there was a lot of times where I, I left the room and just with my kids around, I was I was doing other things. So I wasn't. I, I probably saw. I think I still probably saw seventy-five to eighty percent of the show, but um, it did not hold my attention very well. So. Are you one of the people who thinks that the Oscar the Oscar should have a host? Do you miss the host? I would say after this year, yes. I actually thought it worked well. Actually, uh, I guess I'm mixed on that because I um, I thought it worked fine not to have the host last year. 
Um, though I'm already pretty rapidly forgetting last year's show. I thought, I thought it was fine. It seemed to cut out some of the frivolous stuff that definitely just adds extra padding. Um, but after this show, it really made me want to return to just the traditional formula of having like a, you know, Billy Crystal, Steve Martin, these guys who hosted it like a million times in the nineties, just like bringing back someone who has that sort of light comedic touch um, who can just ensure that there's going to be at least a little bit of intermittent humor and a little spontaneity um, there, you know, for a show that was trying to be really different than years past, it felt like, uh, I, it didn't feel like there was much spontaneity happening. Do you, um, did you see any of the best picture movies? Cause they were. Yeah, I saw them all except one. I, I, I watched them all except for the father, uh, just because that one just sounds incredibly depressing. And I, I don't, I, I don't have a problem with depressing films. I, I love a lot of depressing films. Um, but that one in particular just sounds like a real, a, a real wallow. <laughs> um, just watching someone slowly fall into dementia for two hours. That just, that just sounds like a real chore. <clears throat> I probably will see it at some point, but it just feels like doing homework. Since you saw all of them, do you think there were any undeserved or deserved wins in particular? Yes. Um, I was upset about best supporting actor. Um, I think m kind of my, it was kind of hard to summon much passion for me about anything that was in, in the field this year. But one thing I was passionate about was uh, by far my favorite of the field was The Sound of Metal. Um, I, I think that's a movie that in any year was worthy of a, a best, at least a best picture nomination, um, if not a win. It's definitely a small, a pretty small movie that wouldn't typically get nominated. So that was kind of one of the cool things about this this year was that a movie like that could be nominated for best picture um so i was just sound of metal all the way on everything and especially best supporting actor um uh the 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 man this man paul racy who plays this part is just a very little known performer is just absolutely born for this role he's the child of deaf parents he's, he's playing a, a deaf addiction counselor um, it's just such an authentic performance. It just feels so real. It feels like the guy's not even acting at all. Um, and he also, my, by far my favorite scene of any movie I saw this year was a scene that he's sort of the anchor of late in that movie, which I just thought was by far the best scene of the year. And uh, just a really powerful, powerful scene, powerful performance. So I really, I just thought it would be so cool if he could have won. Um, and I did not care for Daniel Kaluuya uh, in Judas and the Black Messiah, that's um, uh, which I, I usually love Daniel. I've liked Daniel Kaluuya and everything else I've seen him in, but I did not think he was great um, in his role as Fred Hampton from the Black Panthers. Um, just thought his, his accent was really kind of all over the place. Um, it felt very, very actorly. I, I was always very aware that I was watching Daniel Kaluuya trying to play this part. Um, so I was... Yeah, it, it, I, it's kind of an Oscar cliche to have the biopic performances win. And so that, that was just kind of my reaction. Uh, you, you know, you could have rewarded something really authentic and, and special. And I, I don't know, I don't think anyone's really going to be talking about Daniel Kaluuya's performance a couple of years from now. And then um, what was your opinion on the ending? I know everyone was just really shocked by 
um, Chadwick Boseman not winning? How did that make you feel? Uh, I mean, I didn't have a problem with him not winning. Um, I mean, I will confess, I have not seen all of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, I, I watched about a half hour of it, and I did plan to watch the rest, um, but it, it was feeling like homework for me a little bit. It, uh, I don't know if you guys watched the movie. For me, it feels very much like a, a filmed stage play. Um, and there's a whole genre of those movies, just the, the play adaptation, where it just feels like the director turned the camera on actors and, you know, we've got editing in different locations to make it feel a little bit more like a movie, but you, you're, you never forget that you're really watching a, a play that's being filmed. Um, and it's, that's, that's always been sort of one of my least favorite genres of movies. So um, I wasn't wild. I mean, he was clearly amazing um, in the role, but it felt very much like a piece of theater watching it. So I didn't feel passionate about him winning. I mean, it, I, I loved him as an actor and, it certainly would have been awesome just as a posthumous gesture for him to, to get an award. Um, and I didn't see the Anthony Hopkins movie. So I, for me, I just think the best, the best performance should win. Um, so I can't fully, I can't fully pass judgment on it since I saw half of the two movies and 0.5 of, of two movies there. So um, obviously as far as the, the show went, it was super awkward and the producers I'm sure felt like they had major egg on their face afterwards for doing something weird, like moving up best picture to a half hour from the end of the show. And then just assuming that Chad Wick Bozeman would be the winner. And so it just, yeah, it was sort of the perfect ending to a train wreck of a show. Uh, Cause it just, yeah, it just was super abrupt and huh? Uh, <laughs> no speech or anything. Um, so yeah, that, that certainly wasn't great, but I didn't, I didn't have a major emotional reaction to Chadwick Boseman not winning. Yeah. Um, so do you want to go? Uh, yeah, sure. So moving on to the kind of streaming service part, I know that Mank and Trial of the Chicago 7 were from Netflix and Judas and the Black Messiah was on HBO Max. So do you think this year is sort of an outlier of having these streaming services have a bunch of Oscar nominated films um, because of closed movie theaters and the pandemic or is the future of the movie industry in streaming services? It seems to be the future. I, yeah, I think it's here to stay, um, especially because Netflix is the one studio. I mean, Netflix has essentially brought all of the United States anyway, most highbrow, um, most celebrated, um, most critical darling directors um, into their stable and is giving them as much money as they want to make whatever they want. Uh, so uh, all of my heroes are, are going over to Netflix, the, the Coen brothers, Martin Scorsese. Um, so, you know, as, as long as the most major directors are making their films for Netflix and HBO Max and, and the streaming services, it's it's definitely here to stay. Um, and then going on with streaming services, do you think that like after the pandemic is finally over and everyone slowly starts like getting back into movie theaters, do you think that most movies released will have an option to stream like in home as well? Because I feel like a lot of people have discovered that they'd rather watch a movie on their couch instead of paying $20 to go to the movie theater. Totally. Yeah, I think that's still an open question. Um, uh, 
you know, there's been a lot of controversy with HBO Max and Warner Brothers partnering and, you know, saying that we're just going to re release everything that comes out in 2021, both in theaters and on our streaming network simultaneously. Um, that's already alienated some major artists. You know, Christopher Nolan has been Warner Brothers sort of go-to prized big uh, box office blockbuster director for his whole career. And he's so ticked off about it uh, that he's, he's left Warner Brothers altogether. Um, and Warner, so Warner Brothers is, is now saying that they're not going to do this, um, this release strategy in 2022. Originally, they were saying this is, they made it sound like this is more or less permanent, but it seemed like they're already backing down because of artists being so ticked off um, who intend their, their uh, vision to be seen on a big screen. Um, originally, you know, signed on to make their movies with that understanding and then are being told, oh, actually we're gonna put it out on our streaming service and everybody can just see it on the small screen if they want. So there's been enough of a backlash to that, that I, that's certainly, it's definitely gonna be happening forever um, on some level. Um, but I, I do wonder about the big, uh, the big muscle studios like Warner Brothers and Paramount Pictures, I, I, you know, I wonder um, if there's going to be some sort of in-between solution to that that isn't extreme, as extreme as the, the same day theatrical and home release. I think a lot of the movies this year were kind of smaller films, maybe due to the fact that movie theaters were closed. So do you think that if movie theaters come back, they'll mainly be for you know, large blockbusters like Marvel, Fast and the Furious kinds of things? Or will they actually help um, these kind of smaller, more Oscar nominated dramas um, in the box office? Yeah, I, I think that, you know, at least for a couple of years, um, I, I think the theatrical releases will continue on the path that they have been on really for the last, it's pretty much since 2008. Uh, when we had a major recession and there was a very noticeable shift for major studios in the types of films that they were willing to finance. Um, that was, you know, and the recession also happened to coincide with sort of the, the birth of the Marvel craze. Uh, so I, I feel like really the last, even before the pandemic, um, you know, most of, most of the real originality is, has gone to, you know, all, all the, writers and directors who really have an original vision where someone would have to take a little risk, a bit of a risk to finance them. That's all happening uh, with smaller studios and streaming. And, you know, with the bigger studios, it's, it's all about um, predictability. Uh, just things are so thoroughly market researched and focus grouped. Um, I, th I think for the major studios, it's, it's going to continue to be, um, just the, ma the major franchises, the theme park style of movies and, you know, come Oscar time towards the end of the year, you know, a couple films that are sort of meant to be their prestige releases. Um, but I don't think, yeah, I don't think this year is going to necessarily do anything for those smaller releases theatrically. I think those are, those are continue, going to continue to be mainly um, uh, on streaming or uh, uh, from smaller studios. Um, and what do you think that says about the future of the Oscars where the films that they're nominating, like the prestige films, those are the films that the general public isn't really watching, whereas 
the films that are making like billions of dollars at the box office are like the Marvel films and the IP films. Um, what do you think that says about the Oscars and what they're trying to represent if those movies aren't really being watched by a large majority of people? Um, the Oscars are the Oscars need to make some changes. Uh, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. If they want to become, if it, it's to become a relevant show again, I mean the the rate the ratings on this show uh, were abysmal, um, and I mean they've been steadily plummeting for for years now. I think um, just over the last decade, because as you said, that the field has become sort of all more critical darlings and, and not popular films that the majority of moviegoers um, uh, uh, tend to, to flock to. So, I mean, the first thing I think they, I definitely think they need to have an award for the most, or, or maybe the best popular film they were talking about having that award a couple of years ago, or maybe it was even for the 2020 show. Um, and then uh, decided to do away with it at the last minute. But I think that's that's one thing they've absolutely got to do um, because yeah, I think the average viewer just hasn't heard of or seen any of the films. And if you don't know anything about the films, it's, it's not too compelling a watch. So uh, yeah, I, I think along with just figuring out uh, some formatting changes, maybe going back to a little bit of what worked in the golden days of the Oscars, they've got to find a way to bring the more popular films, theatrical releases in, into the, the show. In your opinion, what were the things that worked in the golden days of the Oscars? <laughs> um, it's so hard. I mean, I'm so hesitant to, to get going on this because I feel like it's, it's, I feel like the old man get off my lawn. It sort of goes in that direction. I just think, um, I think there was just better crossover between popular films and critics films, so to speak. Um, I think there were more films that were both. Uh, whereas now it feels like they've really been separated into two categories. There's you know, the films that the average moviegoer goes and sees and shells out the 20 bucks for. And then there's the critics movies that, that only the critics and the really you know, highbrow um, uh, cinephiles care about. I think, um, you know, just back in the, in the 1990s or even in the early aughts, you had more films that both the critics liked and the average moviegoer, um, you know, just movies like The Shawshank Redemption and Titanic and Saving Private Ryan. It just felt like there was a lot more crossover between what was popular and what the critics liked, whereas now it just feels like the average critic kind of thumbs their nose at, you know, at the Marvel stuff and is gravitated more and more towards, you know, really, really obscure films. And there's, yeah, there, there just aren't those films as much that cross over between what, what's popular and what's considered really, really good filmmaking. All right. Um, I think that's all the time that we have. Unless Annika, do you have any other questions? Um, I don't think so. Okay. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate bet. it. You bet. Hopefully something was usable there. Yep. Thank you. Thank See you guys. Take it easy. Thanks for watching this episode of The Muse. For more from The Muse, feel free to check out our page on Spotify or go to gunoracle.com to read other news articles from The Oracle. Have a great day.